Welcome back to the Industrial Automation Insider. I'm Will Corns, Senior Sales Manager for Industrial Automation Solutions here at Zebra. And I have been looking forward to today's conversation for quite some time, mainly because my guests have been working on one of the most innovative yet simplest automation solutions I've seen in a while. Kirby Best, the founder and CEO of BMC, Bespoke Manufacturing Company, has been in the production world for nearly 20 years. And one thing he noticed was that fixed conveyor systems were a problem for everyone, from book publishers to custom fashion manufacturers. Um, so instead of accepting the status quo, he took the initiative to find a solution. He brought in people from companies such as Zebra to see if there was a better way to design and manage manufacturing workflows based on the technology available today. My other guest, Cody James, was one of those consultants. Cody is a zebra like me, except he's focused on robotics automation, and I spend my days assessing the role machine vision and imaging systems can play in larger automation tech stacks. Since the solution that Kirby ultimately came up with to eliminate the pain points of traditional manufacturing models uses both autonomous mobile robots and machine vision, I thought the three of us should sit down for an honest conversation about the experience and outcome. Kirby and Cody, thank you so much for taking the time to chat and welcome to Industrial Automation. Thanks, Will. Thank you, Will. Hey, Kirby, since BMC is a newer company, can you give us a 30,000 foot view of what you do and what, what makes you different from other apparel manufacturers? Yeah, absolutely. So, Will, 30,000 feet, uh, we could have fun and say we are a traditional print, cut, and sew operation, um, meaning that we make garments for big brands, uh, brands you know like Levi's and, and uh, Ralph Lauren and things like that, companies like that. But I would say that we're really wrapped as an IT company. We're a technology company. And if you really want to go a little step further, we're an information company. We collect information on how products, you know, what products are selling and how well they're selling. And that information we think is valuable to uh, keep things going. So it all started with uh, sustainability. And um, I think that that is what drove me. And I'll, I'll try and wrap this up quickly that, that I, um, got involved with uh, the book, uh, one-off book manufacturing world and developed a, a company called Lightning Source, which is now the largest uh, print-on-demand company in the world by a long shot, and uh, saw what it could do for an industry in terms of cutting out waste. And I witnessed two, two documentaries. The first one was called um, The True Cost. And um, if you haven't seen it, it's a, just watch the trailer. But it's a horrible um, portrayal of the industry and the waste that we create and the pollution we create, primarily offshore. And uh, the second one was, you know, these massive um, uh, container ships that go across the ocean. Well, eventually they wear out. And if you look at the documentaries on there being beached in Africa and, and Bangladesh, and then they're just falling apart and everything's oozing out of them and the pollution and the rot is just nothing short of uh, extraordinary. So we believe in the model of um, the sustainable model of uh, that you manufacture the garment as close to the market that you want to um, provide for. 
and uh, you cut out all of the waste in between, and you only um, make a garment after it's been sold, and that changes the whole model substantially. So it's um, sell it, make it, and ship it. So wow, that's what there, we do. there are so many things within that 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 I really want to touch on. Um, one is I I love it that you're using big data to go back and look at the models for efficiency within a, a traditionally a manufacturing environment that is is very analog, right? You you get an order that's brought in by Nordstrom or some uh, high end fashion garment company, and it it gets. Um, you, you put in a production order, right? So now you're yep. utilizing yep. big data to, to, to go back and, and show sustainability models so that you're actually making uh, the earth a better place. And then also uh, what you just said is is the fallout effect of, of all of that is, is, is cleaning up and, and making things actually more efficient because now you're only built to order and, and, it's, and it's done after the order. So I know you've been in manufacturing for a, a a long time and and personally experienced some of the limitations of what I'll call traditional traditional factory design, especially fixed conveyor systems. Uh, I would imagine some people were shocked when you said that fixed conveyors may not be the way of the future, and they were probably even more stunned when you provided them <laughs> proved them right. Right. So, tell me a little bit about what pushed you to search for a better way to produce custom fashion. Or custom goods in general, and, and 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 I think you're going to touch on what you just touched on, which is the sustainability. But I want to dive a little bit deeper in that. So coming down off of that thirty thousand, let's let's start diving into it. Yeah. Well, great question. Um, there are many stories, and I won't go into all of them, but uh, there was this need that we had to fulfill, and um, we uh, really ran into uh, an issue right off the bat, and the, the product was sleepwear. Um, my wife had gone through breast cancer, and she's fine now, but she had uh, suffered horribly with uh, the effects of chemotherapy. And so we looked at uh, what was out there, and we started making uh, sleepwear for her. And then it went to her friends, and then her friends' friends, and her chemotherapy friends. And then, funny enough, it went to South Africa, and then the Scandinavian countries. And we, we didn't want to put a lot of money into this because we didn't know how well it would sell. So we kept trying to buy smaller and smaller runs. And um, we found out very quickly that the minimum order quantity was about 350. And in some cases, 350 of each size. And um, so we said, there's got to be a better model. And we had developed one for the book industry. So we took that and said, okay, I know nothing about the garment business, or very little for sure, and um, certainly nothing about manufacturing garments. So I went in with an absolutely white sheet of paper and said, well, you know, from a high level, we're taking a product and we start by printing it or by cutting it, and then it goes through many steps. And the steps are kind of interesting. You, you can do a dress with seven to 10 steps, but a pair of jeans are 91 steps. So it gives you an idea of the diversity. So we started looking at how to get the garment from um, station to station to station. Well, the easiest one is the traditional method of you sew it in one station, you push it to the next, and you push it to the next, push it to the next. 
But what you're doing is creating a line, and the line is great until you want to change it over. And if you want to change it over every two minutes, then it's silly. So we had to figure out a way to um, send the product any way we possibly needed it. And that, that of course, became conveyor belts in the early days. <clears throat> but conveyors are fixed, and you can't do anything with them once they're bolted to the floor or very hard to. So when the AMRs came along, the robots came along, we realized that all of a sudden now we had the flexibility to take it from station to station to station and to kind of go a step further. Um, you know, people often ask me, um, did I do this to save labor? And it really had nothing to do with saving labor. It was all about um, these robots can tie into the system and query um, uh, the system to get answers many times a second. So we now have a fleet of robots that can literally ask the big system questions, get an answer, and take it to the right person at exactly the right time that has the right qualifications, that's on the right machine, that has the right color thread, and and they do that without any human intervention. So it just became the natural way to go. But I haven't given up on, on um, conveyor belts. It's kind of a combination, um, but uh, we were 100% conveyors before. Now we're probably, um, let's say, 40% conveyors and 60% and bots. And in the next plant, which we hope to start building any day, we'll probably be 80% bots and 20% conveyors. So conveyors haven't died, but they um, are definitely what, – what these AMRs will do and what the Fetch AMR will do is just extraordinary. And um, I think we're just touching on uh, what it can do. It, the thing I love uh, the most about this is that that mother uh, that the um, mother of innovation is is the necessity that you yeah. you brought to this. So it started off with with something you were trying to make your wife more comfortable in a very uh, trying time, which is is just it, it, you know it's just heart wrenching, right? To to see somebody yeah. go through that and to make them have that little bit of comfort was the necessity and then that brought you down the road of well there's an actual need here and if i want to do this and i want to scale it uh i have to get a little bit more flexible and and that's brought you full circle to to this um i think it's it's awesome that you you, you still need conveyors right because it still needs to go to the same source to be sewed and and uh still the bots need to offload that but Going from 100% conveyor systems to 40% conveyor systems to, you know, 80% bots in your plant too, is 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 just amazing to to go that fast and to start solve. I'm crazily curious about how many problems that came at you that you had to solve before you could get to the to the 80%. I'm sure as you start to whittle this down and get more granular on on utilizing robotics for for more of your applications it's going to get even harder and harder more more problems are probably going to have to to be solved um and I, you left your job for this right to 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 go to <laughs> yeah. this i mean we we had started a company that ran into trouble during covid as a lot of firms did and um we closed the company down very sadly um but 
we knew we had the genesis of an idea that was extraordinary and it gave us a chance to kind of pause and you don't have to get to do this in life. Uh, I got a do over and um, I had the opportunity to say, where did we really screw up? Where did we make mistakes? But we also got the opportunity to say, where were we really, ex- you know, uh, where did we excel? What did we do extraordinarily well? And there were just as many things we did well as we screwed up on. But to have this ability to start all over again was um, nothing short of um, uh, fun. And um, so we did. So it's it's been a neat journey. And But it's only a start. You know, nobody has ever <laughs> done this to our knowledge before. So we're still learning. And um, I came from a meeting yesterday with 12 engineers. And it was nothing short of extraordinary to get these minds all in one room and and start to look at what are the bottlenecks and what are the issues and how do we solve it and um, that that's what I'd live for is is how do we make things more efficient how do we make them sustainable and how do we make them scalable so yeah those are kind of what I focus on and if we could take just a, a brief step back and, and talk about when you decided to pull the trigger on your plan where did you look for support? Uh, not knowing anything about the business, I knew you worked with us here at Zebra to find the enabling technology platforms, but from a bigger perspective, who did you bring onto your team? Um, did you create like an advisory council of designers, customer voice? Um, who were you hoping to serve? And did you bring colleagues from past companies on board? I did. I did. I, you know, I, I've developed over the years, and I, I will correct you on something that I laugh about. I kind of go, well, that was nice. You said that I've been in the production world for 20 years. Well, I had to reflect on that. It's more like 45 years. And uh, <laughs> so I, I've had met some extraordinary people along the way, people that have given me great advice, um, uh, good friends with the vice chairman of IBM. And I remember a while ago, like a long time ago, he said, you've got to study this guy. He's in college and he's making these things in his college dorm room. And you've got to watch this guy. We're, we're watching him at IBM. And it was Michael Dell of Dell Computers. Wow. So, you know, when, when you have access to minds like that, that, that keep guiding you, and whether they're young or whether they're old, Lots of people have influenced this and given great advice, but we got involved with a conveyor company and they got us involved with an integrator called SNH Systems. And there are a few people there that I just hit it off with and they got us involved with Fetch. And um, so it's just kind of snowballed, but it's, don't get me wrong, it is a team, team, team sport here. It's, um, Lots of people are involved in different ways. I, I'm lucky I get a lot of credit for it, but it, it's hundreds of people that have influenced me and in my thinking on this. And I'm I'm one of those guys that my favorite, favorite line is, it'll never work or it'll, uh, uh, that can't be done. And go, well, as soon as I hear that, that just turns me on, gets me more excited <laughs> about solving it. So it's... Uh, you know, when curiosity we is, industry. yeah, curiosity yeah. is is a is a is such a blessing, you know, to to have it because is. you you go and you start pressing in, and um, 
it, it's kind of like sales where it's uh, no means not yet and not yet means yes is coming. It's kind of like if you start peeling it back <laughs> as to the hurdles, you you, you yep. get you come closer. And, and you know, I, I love that. I love pressing the the envelope on on a lot of these technologies. Um, I've done that in, in my career and it's always good to, to hear the same from from a like minded person. And I think. Yeah, the common theme is you have to be a student of life, right? Which if you take your 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 story about the origin of this and, and you start looking at peeling that back, if you get if you listen to everybody and I'm sure people told you you're crazy and that this will never work out and then you start proving them wrong with these little things and it, it's just time, right? You have to start peeling it back and saying, OK, well, if I solve this, it's possible. And yeah, and you, yeah. you keep moving past that. So. I'm very curious. You talk a lot about the AMR portion of it. Um, I'm guessing that you're becoming a student into the machine vision portion of this and the in the fixed industrial scanning, where it provides a lot of that that data that you're aggregating into how efficient your systems are working. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, yeah, absolutely. So on top of the data collection through the um, the scanners. You know, we we analyze everything we possibly can, and we have um, uh, data now that we've never had before. I mean, never had before, and it's um, it's funny. We've hired this woman who's co-authored a book with me on um, on scene theory, and uh, I've warned her that you know she keeps trying to look at little pieces of data and i'm going you have an avalanche of data about to hit you you've got to figure out how to look at this from the big picture and broad brush strokes but uh, you're absolutely right i mean what we're creating is the ability to uh, ability to create the information that we can analyze to improve our efficiency on every day on every operation and um so it's exciting uh, but uh, you know, I, I often feel, and I'm going to take a poke at um, at uh, Fetch for a little bit here. They are brilliant, brilliant in the laboratory with what they've done. Cody might hang up on me here, but um, the real world <laughs> is often quite different than the um, than the laboratory. And um, so we're out here in the real field and getting our hands dirty, and and it is so much fun. I I think. I think what we can do with these is just um, just beginning. So uh, I, I couldn't be more excited about um, the partnership we've kind of formed with them and where it can all go. And you know, we got to have the guys in the laboratory developing these things, but you got to have the guys in the field that are putting them to practical use and and feeding back information to improve their product, which improves our operation. Yeah. It, it, it. Let's just hear from Cody for for a second and in, in your involvement with with Kirby on this project from a robot robotics perspective um, to ensure that AMRs could be used in a way that was most beneficial to people sitting at the production station. What what challenges did you and the team have to work through? Yeah, yeah, I'd say there were you know a few challenges, and we're still working through some, and I think that's just the nature of of this type of automation as as we interact more and more with the overall system and the total operations you know uh traditionally robotics has been i've got my cell i'm only worried about the items within this cell uh with 
AMR's uh, autonomous mobile robots, your your active environment is literally changing every day, every every second, as items and and people move around the facility. Uh, so you you come into scenarios where you're you're watching a robot drive and it takes a turn or maybe it goes around something and you're wondering well what's going on there um, you have to be able to step back and say there's a ton of software uh, driving some of these decisions in the background that are taking into account uh, different items in the facility or maybe even traffic further down in its path that it's correcting now and so sometimes just watching what's going on might give you the wrong perception of um, of the operation itself. But from some of the initial challenges, uh, we we worked very closely in, uh, with uh, BMC and SNH on the layout of the facility, making sure that there was enough room and spacing for robots to navigate uh, and dock and undock with the conveyor station, so we can do the the tote transfers. Uh, so there's a ton of collaboration and and partnership there uh, before anything ever arrived on site. Uh, then once we were on site and started to work through the install and, and traffic flow development, uh, exactly like Kirby said, that's when you start to see the the implementation of what's built in the lab or in the on the software team being put to use in, in real time. So uh, some of those things that you can't really see on the 2D layout start to come to light when you're there on site. I specifically remember we were driving, um, there, there's a part of the facility to where there's a, a floor to wall window to be able to look out on the production site for a meeting room. And as we're driving through there, uh, the laser of the robots actually looks through that window and so from a navigation standpoint, we're looking at the back wall of the room rather than the glass window. Uh, it, do, it doesn't cause any collisions or any issues like that. We don't, we don't drive through the, the windows, uh, but it causes the robots to, to pause for a little bit and adjust to say, oh, I'm actually over here. Let me drive around. Uh, and so we ended up, I believe, putting frost at a certain height on those windows to where we'd get a good reflection back to the lasers on the robots that way we could we could do what's called localization we could localize much better and, and exactly like kirby was saying that's something that you don't you don't know until you're in the field and you're doing this testing so much like any other technology or project as you go through the installation and the ramp up period you start to find those uh those unknown unknowns and and you start to work through them and that's where tying into the overall partnership becomes even more critical because uh, there are some things that we can adjust on the robot side to overcome hurdles. Uh, there are some things that we would need the partner to adjust, uh, SNH maybe, uh, to adjust uh, to help everything work better. And then maybe there was a, a facilities change that BMC helped us with, with frosting those windows. Uh, so it's working through planning and, and um, traffic management before going on site, identifying issues and resolving issues during the deployment phase. And, and even now, as we're working through some of the optimization pieces of uh, how to uh, better manage the traffic in the facility, maybe make better routes as we're driving along, uh, going to different um, sewing stations, uh, 
each new phase of the project gives us an opportunity to look at the data we have collected, analyze it, and then make improvements that will then push better performance during the next phase. And I, I, I want to hit on something that I don't think that gets gets noticed enough. And and Kirby, I'll, I'll take your input on this because I'm very curious from your perspective. Is that the the necessity for partnership from manufacturer like Zebra to the systems integrators and distributors that are that are in there making the the sauce happen and connect all the devices together, um, and then the voice of the customer actually providing feedback and the patience and and knowing that it's it's fully baked technology but it doesn't always work as designed in a in a lab environment it you have to wait for that that deployment and each installation can be different from the next even if you have the same four walls you could have a, a shinier floor or you could have higher ceilings or you could have different environments that are maybe it's a colder environment that that are causing it um changes I, i'm just curious from your perspective kirby what are your thoughts on the partnership and in, in that ecosystem and how things went and how how are you moving because you're moving towards an 80 percent bot uh in your second facility how did that play in because it, it seems like you're investing more into this technology not less so it's it's moving in the direction that you want i'm very curious to to hear from your side so let me go two directions. One is a fun direction that I'm going to poke Cody if he would listen to me. <laughs> Sorry, Cody, I can't resist this opportunity. <laughs> I knew so what I was getting into. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, we have lots of ideas and thoughts and, and stuff. And uh, so I, I view the partnership as, as um, fabulous. Um, nothing short of that. It's uh, working with their team has been great. It's um it's 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 you know my whole life I've been involved with sports and um, it always takes a team and no matter whether it's an individual athlete there's always a team behind them um, or a team sport there's the team that puts it all together and stuff so I believe in that concept and um, you know I I think it's very hard for um, an engineer, a developer of a product to take criticism and take it constructively. But um, Fetch has really started to um, evolve into uh, a firm that understands that uh, alone they can't do much, but in partnership they can do a ton. And uh, we seem to be benefiting greatly from that that change. So. That answer the question. I don't, I got a little off track there, but no, absolutely. Um, it's it, you know, it's there's no right answer. It's just more of. I think you hit on it well. It takes a team, and it's not just you sitting back as the customer saying, "I want this output." It's more of a collaboration, and this is this is what I find so interesting about one your model, and then two your. Uh, your reinvestment into this and, and moving forward is that it's a collaboration. So, um, you know, I, I'll just ask you here in a second about your vision and where you want to go with this. And I'm guessing that it, it, where you where the technology was and where you were uh, is nowhere close to what your vision is. And, and it takes a team 
it takes good technology and then the support of all the the supporting actors in this to get to help you get to your your dream so maybe you could just take a second and say you know this is where i i want to go with this and and what what you're doing to revolutionize the 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 textile manufacturing well yeah i'd love to L let me go back a step because you might enjoy this um I've learned over the years that um, you can get advice from, you know, a 10-year-old and you can get advice from a 70-year-old. And we um, we have hooked into a group that um, um, it's Andy Jassen Consultants, and they're all older men and women from the industry. And I had always put on my blinders to make sure that I wasn't just accepting well this is the way we've always done it um it, it's I, i've tried to rethink this but now i'm going back and um listening to uh these wise older generation um and and they're giving me unbelievably good advice so it's, it's kind of fun but to, to answer that question very specifically, what we want to do is produce a network of factories around the world that accept a file that is very structured. And uh, the file comes out of one company called iCreate.fashion that is building tech packs that are machine and human readable um, that feed the structured data into these factories. So we'd like to build this network of factories around the world, some we own, some we partner, some that's owned by other people, but connect them all together so that the garments are being made in the, the most appropriate factory close to the consumer as possible. How's that's that amazing. And do you, do you feel that you can scale your model utilizing existing factories or do you have to build a new factory to have this model wow that that that's a tough and a great question but the answer is it's a combination of both we can retrofit older factories um obviously a green field is so much easier but um oh heck yes uh, this is very very scalable everything we do is uh based on is it scalable and um, so very scalable. Yes, we can go into old factories. Um, new ones are always easier, but um, a combination of both. I love it. And let's talk about the, the, the knock-on effect with this is the sustainability model and, and uh, not polluting our, our earth as, as much. Can you talk a little bit about that of if you go at scale, um, what's the knock-on effect that, that you think will happen with that? We got challenged by the uh, Dean of Parsons, and he said, um, if the world um, adopted this model and 100% went over to it, what would it save? Now, start off with the fashion industry is accused of being the second worst polluter after oil and gas. And I would challenge all your listeners to Google how many gallons of water it takes to make a pair of jeans, because you won't believe my answer for sure. But um, he challenged us on this, and we said we think it would solve about 70 to 80 percent of the um, pollution created by this industry. So 
this has enormous potential for um, helping the planet. Um, but he he sat us down and he said, that's not good enough. You've got to go back and rethink it. And we did. And we went back and we came up with another idea for the secondhand clothing market. So we were talking about circularity. And uh, we figured out that we could probably add another 10% by creating a secondhand market using RFID chips and searchable databases because we know all the measurements that go into every piece of clothing that we make. So that could be stored in a database and you could go to a secondhand site and say, I'm looking for a jacket that has this chest measurement and this length and this fabric. And uh, you could search what had been turned in the differentiating factor would be the microchip or the RFID chip that we could put in each clothing that would allow it to be scanned in really quickly and stored that way. So, so the bottom line is, is this really could have a dramatic effect on the environment. I think that the 70, 80%, that is just mind boggling. It's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I could talk to you forever, Kirby and, and Cody, um, but we do uh, unfortunately have to have to wrap up. But before we wrap up, I, I, I just want to ask one one follow on question is what action item would you have the listeners do um, if they want to follow or invest in this or, uh, you know, learn from you? What, what call to action would you have them do? I didn't think of that one. That's a great question. Um, just watch where it's going. Um, I, I guess the biggest call to action is start to become aware of your clothing and where it's made and how it's made and and what the effect of is. I mean, when you say everybody loves to buy a less expensive piece of clothing if they can, a bargain piece, but when that bargain piece has been made by child slave labor uh, offshore and then uh, sent over here uh, by cargo containers and, and things like that. You, you've got to look at the bigger picture and go, oh, I'm not really doing my part for sustainability. So just watch what you're buying and, and know a bit about your buying, understand it. I love it. And they can find you on LinkedIn, uh, anywhere else on social media, people can find you? <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to say every trucking company in the world has found me recently. But uh, yeah, I, I, um, I do maintain a bit of a social media imprint or footprint, but it's, it's not a big one. But yeah, I love this stuff. So anybody that's interested, love to talk to them. Fantastic. Well, Cody and Kirby, thank you so much for spending some time with me today. I learned so much. I have so many more questions. I will definitely have you back on. Um, but for now, this is William Corns with Industrial Automation Insider. Please click subscribe at the bottom here and uh, reach out to, to Kirby if, if you're interested in, in learning more. Um, until next time, thank you, everybody. Have a great one. Thanks, Will.